Hey, it's Ian Altman. My guest this week is Craig Ross, the CEO of Veris Global. Craig's got a new book out called Do Big Things, The Simple Steps Teams Can Take to Mobilize Hearts and Minds and Make an Epic Impact. And it delivers on this. They did over 65,000 hours of research, observing, studying, and working with extraordinary teams across 29 different industries and 38 countries to identify how these teams were able to overcome significant challenges and achieve remarkable results. Craig and I are going to discuss the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to how they develop teams. We'll talk about specific steps you can take to get people fully engaged around a common vision. And we'll also talk about the steps you can take to ensure that everyone on your team is rowing together in the same direction to, you guessed it, do big things and achieve amazing results. You're going to learn a ton from Craig Ross. Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ian. Can you start by sharing with our audience something surprising about you that they may not know? So I'm six foot five. I was this tall in eighth grade. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, Which, of course, you know, I had to play basketball, of course. By law, uh, I think, actually. In in seven (laughs) states, it's actually required, yeah. Required. Even though I grew up in Minnesota where, you know, everybody's hockey nuts, I had to play basketball. Um, But growing up on the farm, learned a lot of lessons, um, a lot about – you know, what really matters in life and ultimately really grateful that I got to learn those lessons early and, and very grateful for the experience uh, of growing up, you know, in an agricultural community uh, because those roots have served me well. That's great. And so how far did you go in basketball? You know, I played, you know, well, I like to say this, I was on the team in college and of course everybody defaults into thinking that I played, but there's a technicality there. I didn't play much, but I did. I was on the team at a division two school. That's right. Occasionally if we were really being blown out and, and, <laughs> and it was an yeah, unsafe bringing- environment, the coach said, listen, Craig, get in there. Don't hurt yourself. Right. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I'm, I'm over that stuff now. I think. <laughs> Well, as much as many people may tap your expertise in basketball and um, and, and shopping in tall stores, um, our, our focus is obviously more on how we develop leaders and employees. And I know you've done a ton of research on the subject. What are the biggest blind spots or mistakes that organizations make when they're trying to develop their leaders or employees? You know, it's, it's happening right now. It's happening at a rapid rate, and it's only getting worse unless we develop our awareness and address it. And it's this, that because so many organizations are functioning in, in matrix, you know, it's a matrix structure. They're, they're working cross-functionally. As we know in the statistics in terms of the independent contractors that organizations are working with, people are – they're literally on eight to ten teams and having eight to ten meetings per day and what's happening – is they're going to those meetings and they're functioning from different realities. And one person once said, you know what happens if you get someone from finance, someone from manufacturing, someone from you know, marketing, you get them into a meeting, you know what happens? I said, what happens? I said, you have to go to another meeting because nothing's going to get done. <laughs> um, and and this, this, is, this is fundamental to a team's ability to do something big, to achieve its targets. And that is, hey, from the beginning, let's get energized about a shared reality. Okay, so when when you say people are living in different realities versus shared reality, what do you mean? 
<laughs> well, what I mean by this, you know, I was just working with a client uh, in Michigan, and uh, he was remembering some of the more productive days uh, when the when the organization was succeeding and doing quite well. He said, "Craig, you know, back then we're a large organization. I'd get onto the elevator." And I wouldn't even know the people on the elevator. They came from all different parts of the organization. But immediately, we had one shared focus. We knew what mattered most. And, and we could kick off a discussion. We would connect. And by the time we got off the floors, you felt like you'd, you'd connected with human beings and had new friends. He said, now we get in the elevator and it's quiet. Because we, we're not, we don't have a shared focus. We don't, we don't align on what matters most. Our priorities are conflicting. We don't have the same business imperatives. And, of course, as a result, we're separated as human beings. You know, I love that you give that example because I'll often talk to businesses and I'll ask the following question. I said, so six months from now, what would make this a resounding success? And it's amazing how often five people will look at each other and they've never thought of that before. And I always think to myself, if you guys have no idea what success would look like, between you, then what's the chance you're actually going to get there? Yeah, it's phenomenal, isn't it? Um, it's very similar to the question we asked. We call it committing to the human imperative up front because building on what you just shared, Ian, when you, when you ask someone, hey, think of a great team you're on, and, and they'll say, okay, yeah, I'm thinking about that team. And, and then we say, what was it like? And they'll say, well, we had, you know, everybody had each other's backs, and, and you know, we were all in. Rarely, by the way, do they ever list the corporate values, that the organization has listed, but they'll articulate it in really powerful, inspiring words. And then to your point, Ian, we simply say, so what would be necessary to build and develop that in our teamwork now? Uh, and of course, that, that begins that shared reality that's so important. I work with a lot of sales organizations, and someone will say to me, well, so, yeah, so what we're trying to do is double our sales. I'll say, okay, so what specifically is it going to take for you to do that? Like, are you going to take exactly what you did last year and just do twice as many of each of those? What specifically? No, no, we're just going to double. Hmm. Okay, but but how are you going to do that? Because it's not just going to happen because you wish that it will. You actually That's have right. to have a plan and execute. So what, right. are, what are some of the things that organizations try to do when they don't have that common vision, when they don't have shared goals, when they have different realities – what are some of the pitfalls that they pursue trying to fix that? You know, this first my my first answer to your question it might uh, <laughs> you're going to get some responses from your listeners because it's all good. on this uh, yeah on the surface it's the antithesis of how we think about developing teams in order for them to deliver and it's this those organizations will focus first on developing the leader and and this is so traditionally done but what ends up happening Ian is that they will develop the leader outside the context of the team, outside the context of the system that is actually doing the work. And as a result, I mean, we're fond of saying this, leadership matters. We're not doubting that. Leadership matters, but only teams deliver. And so what's essential is that we're developing leaders in the context of their team so that the leader and the system is actually improving so that we can actually get that double, double sales as you're sharing in your story so that can actually occur. So it's this notion of, man, you know, everyone's not rowing in the same direction. I know we're going to invest in coaching and development of this leader, of this, this manager, and that's going to fix everything. That's it. We call it the dirty fish tank model. And, and very briefly, what that dirty fish tank model is this. Imagine that you walk into an office, there's a dirty fish tank, scummy, yellow water, and you can barely see the fish. Imagine if someone comes in and they take a fish out of that water, scrub it, 
and then put it back in in an attempt to clean the tank. <laughs> it's 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 insane. And and again, I I want to make sure there's some great leadership development work being done out there, and and it's essential that our leaders are strong. Yet what has to occur is the entire tank must be affected. We're not just talking about cleaning fish individually. And so what are some of the things that organizations could and should be doing instead? Because we we know that people are misaligned, so they have that challenge. And we've got different realities. They don't have that common view. They They don't all know what matters most and what they should be focused on. And they're not committing to that human imperative, as you say, and then it's like, oh, we're just gonna we're gonna clean up this one case, and that'll solve everything. So, what should they be doing instead? You know, first of all, is uh, I, I strongly recommend actually beginning with, and this is an important part of the reality: is what do we mean by team? I mean, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it's it's a question that is around this idea: Are we a team? And if so, what does that? What's the significance of that? Um, notice I'm, I'm, I'm not going to some of the easy ones, which are, you know, what are your roles? Because one of the things we found in a typical high-performing team approach, if we just talk about roles and, and uh, uh, resource allocation, it ends up being very personal. It begins, this is me and what I do. And what we want to accomplish is shift that reality towards the collective and so who are we together? What are our responsibilities? Ian, I'm going to use the one that you use, and that is what does success look like? And then, of course, a lot of discussion is going to go around, okay, how do we get there? And I, full, I wholeheartedly support that. Included in that discussion must be what are the specific thinking and actions? And let's be as, as specific as possible that will be necessary for us to deliver the performance for success. So it gets down to the specific action. So it sounds like it would be along the lines of, okay, this is what success looks like. These are the specific actions we need to take. And then we start worrying about who's going to take responsibility for each of those actions. As opposed to most organizations say, oh, well, I want to play this role. No, no, I want to play this other role. No, no, I want to play that role. And it's like it's not towards a goal. It's just everybody's in it for themselves. You got it. I mean, I, I was just with a client um, and, and, and they were struggling. Uh, it was a cross-functional situation. Uh, there was a break in the meeting. The leader came out and said, see what I'm challenged with. And I said, I understand. When you go back in there, ask everyone to share what role do you play. Answer the question, what role do you play? She did. And then one person speaks up and says, you know, I'm the HR guy. Another person says, you know, I'm responsible for finance. And, and she said, time out. The most important role we play here is teammate, that of being a teammate. And, and it immediately shifted the paradigm around, ah, I got it. I've got responsibilities to bring to this team. But until we function from the role of being the strongest teammate, activating the best in each other, we don't have a chance until that occurs. The rock star top performer you're looking for in your sales organization isn't looking for a job right now. In fact, they are totally content crushing it for somebody else. The folks at Peak Sales Recruiting have discovered an approach so that those rock star candidates will quickly discover that they're better off working for you than for somebody else. And if you've ever wondered, what are the right questions to ask to know if I'm getting a great candidate or just someone who's going to be okay? Well, they also have a sales interview guide available. You can learn more about Peak Sales Recruiting and get their free sales interview guide by visiting peaksalesrecruiting.com slash Ian. I'm a hockey fan, and so this year the Washington Capitals just won the Stanley Cup. 
and arguably didn't have as strong of a team as they had in past years. And they got into the finals against the Vegas Golden Knights, which is a whole bunch of the best second line players and the best, you know, in essence, second team players in the league because of the way the expansion draft works in the NHL. And what the commentator said over and over was, wow, just when you meet with these people, just they all have this common shared goal and vision. And they were playing against teams that had admittedly better individual talent in different areas. But every time they would ask the Capitals, well, how'd you do this? So-and-so was injured. And they said, well, it's just next man up. We have a system. We have a, we have a process. We adhere to that system. And if someone gets injured, next person comes up, fills that role, and performs those tasks. And I mean, it, it echoes this completely. You should, you know, you should get an endorsement for the book from, you know, their head coach Barry Trotz, or um, <laughs> or one of the players if they're actually um, sober enough to do so. It was fun to watch them play because yeah. you could you could see again. I use those words. They were energized around that reality that you're describing. And what's more, we see this in the corporate setting all the time. It, it's almost insulting when we talk about, hey, we need to engage our employees. Man, I'm telling you what, you look at those Washington Capitals or any high-performing team, to be engaged, it's almost an insult. That's not enough. I want to be fulfilled. I want to be inspired. I want to be energized. I want to be alive. And and that, that can absolutely intentionally be created. Yeah, that's great. So what are some of the things? So if if someone's listening and they say, you know what, man, Craig, you're dead on right. And – Wow, we see this in our organization. So we're going to talk to our people about this idea of having this team mindset. What are some of the things that they can do uh, aside from going out and, and ordering do big things to learn the, all the steps? What are some of the first things that they can do to actually start seeing some results and move things in the right direction? Yeah. Um, the first one is actually hidden in your question um, because it's it's a commonly held paradigm, right? It's, it's hey, I'm going to talk to the team about it. And one of the things as they talk to the team, right there, your key words, is to include in that that we're actually bringing the questions to those I'm leading. I'm bringing them to my peers. I'm, I'm actually mobilizing their hearts and minds. Hands down, the questions that we are asking in the workplace are what we call boilerplate execution questions. Imagine that you go to 10 meetings a day, and in every meeting you hear the same questions. What do we need to do? How's it going to be done? Who's going to do it? When's it going to be done by? We have to ask those questions, but it does nothing, does nothing to call us to a higher level as human beings and certainly not to connect us, the energy that's so so critical. And so we call them the five classes of questions that mobilize hearts and minds. And very, very quickly, they're, they're questions, the class five questions, so periodically those purpose questions. And of course, then there are questions that tap into vision. And then your, your, your audience is going to recognize motivation questions, accountability questions, and questions that revolve around the objective. And so that would be my, my, my first point of counsel is let's, let's elevate how we're activating the brilliance in those around us by asking higher classes of questions. Give me some examples of how maybe you would see it in the past versus how people might want to ask the questions of their teams today. Yeah, well – I got to be careful here because where where we've got the, the material for our book and all our research is yes, up you know the gurus out there, Daniel Goleman, Kahneman, and all the others. But most of the content comes from watching great leaders. However, 
overwhelmingly, what we know for a fact, Ian, is that uh, most leaders are not asking many questions. If they're asking questions, it is such as it's it's what do you think um, or who's going to do this? And so to your point, example questions is, you know, calling a timeout when you realize your team is just about ready to start another meeting and everybody is exhausted and just saying, you know what? I want to throw the script away here and I'm going to just ask everybody really quick, why the heck are we doing this anyway? And you know what? We've been together for a long time. I'd like to ask every two or three of you, what, what, how is the purpose of this team directly connected to you as a person, your purpose? Now, your listeners will say, wait a minute, wait a minute, those questions, that's not normal. And I would respond, you're right, they're not normal. And that's why delivering on big things is not normal. If people aren't passionate about it, if they don't feel they're making a difference, then obviously we're, we're missing something. I mean, it gets back to Simon Sinek, start with why. The way that I often speak with people on the sales side is I say to them, look, you know, what you have to always ask your client is, so what happens if you don't solve this? And similarly, with any project inside a business, they've got to ask themselves, so what happens if we don't achieve this? What happens if we don't get this done? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, if you're at a hospital and someone says, oh, if we don't do this, it puts patient lives at risk. Really, how many each week? And then people start realizing, wow, this is a really important task that I'm involved in because yeah. I'm affecting people's lives instead of, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be building this system for the physicians and clinicians to use. Instead of, you know, what I do actually matters. Is that kind of where you're going? I, that's exactly where I'm going. It's, it's, you know what, human beings are not meant to be marginalized. We, 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 we're not here to, to just get by. We are, I mean, come on, this is Maslow stuff, right? It's the, it's the process of self-actualization. And, and the workplaces that are doing big things, the teams that are achieving extraordinary outcomes – it's because people are going to work and they're actually it's, – it's, they're realizing who they are as individuals in the context of this journey with their team. And, and so this is, this is about being courageous enough just to call it like it is and say, we're human beings here. And so let's act like human beings and tap into the to, – to what truly energizes us. And, and, man, I tell you, oftentimes I hear leaders say, I want to be more inspiring well, there's two steps to doing that. Number one, you better be inspired yourself. And then number two, you don't have to find the perfect quote. You simply need to ask the question that activates the brilliance and inspiration of those you lead. Yeah. That's, you know what, that, that right there is great insight. So I know you've done research with many different organizations. Can you share one or two stories or examples of businesses that, you know, you can change the names to protect the innocent? But, hmm. you know, just an example of a, of a business that, was struggling with this and just how implementing some of these concepts made a big difference. You got it. Um, this is a company out of Texas, a uh, global company, but headquartered in Texas. Um, a leader that we, we started working with there, I actually met him in a hallway and just started small talking and, and it went from there. Um, you know, and this is a leader that understands something that changing behaviors is not an intellectual exercise. It's the business of the heart. And, and so what he means by that is that it's, it's, it's really about being at our best emotionally as human beings because that's how we're making decisions. And so we set them up with what we call the energy map. Uh, the energy map is a very, very simple concept. It's a model that allows people to operate from a shared reality. It has a backside, a middle, and a front side. He said what was occurring within their organization is that they were so stuck at looking at data and facts and then focusing on the problem 
And as you and I know, Ian, every moment spent focusing on a problem is a moment that cannot be spent focusing on solutions. And so we literally built their awareness around the choices and their focus. And and they went from a 47% uh, milestone success rate in their technology development to 107%. And because I'm not a researcher and engineer, I still don't know how you can go over 100%, but they did. They were were delivering new product to their clients, uh, to their customers. It took them three times as long as their competition. They're now on pace with their competition. And this year, they're going to exceed and beat their competition. Um, And the list of successes go on and on simply because they grew their collective awareness around where they're focused and how to make sure that collective focus is more productive. Well, it's it's interesting because the way that you talk about this reminds me of – I had Robbie Richman on who um, is author of The Culture Blueprint. And Robbie was the um, the chief culture strategist at Zappos for years. And people often ask him, so if I'm trying to build culture, you know – you know, how do I build culture? And Robbie always says the first question you ask is you get together with your team and say, so what does culture mean? <laughs> and get the team to define it because he says if the team doesn't have a shared view of what culture is and why it matters, you can't impose culture. You can't just say, oh, well, now start doing this because then people, they might go through the motions, but they don't really believe it and own it. Yeah, I you know 100% agree. I would add I would add to that. So I, I love that, and I would add to it. In most organizations, culture initiatives fail because they're culture initiatives. Yeah. And, and and we as business leaders, we've got one thing in our mind, and it's to hit a number. It's to hit a deliverable. And and in the organizations that succeed in transforming their culture, what they're doing is uh, you know I call it the Trojan horse effect is they're basically saying, hey, listen, if we can equip you to think and lead and act differently. And you can do that with your team, and it helps you get that number. Will you do it? Of course, every business leader is going to say, yes, of course. And it's all in service to that number. And suddenly they wake up one day and, wow, our culture is much different now. That's the realization that so many leaders want to impose a change on their on their teams instead of if you let your teams come up with the ideas – It'll go over so much better. I remember I spent time as president of a country club, and there was a period of time we didn't have a general manager, and I became the de facto general manager for a short period of time. And people said, oh, you know, we really need to work on food service in in the restaurant. And I said, okay. And so I pulled the team together and say, all right, guys, let's just brainstorm. What are the three things that we could do that – members would really be blown away with that wouldn't necessarily take us more time or cost us more money, but just would be better and would just agree on those three things. Say, okay, so how are we going to execute those? And then people would, in essence, they would set their own goals and their own, and their own process for achieving it. And then they quickly learn that, Oh no, he's going to come back in one to two weeks and ask us for three new ones. (laughs) (laughs) But it meant that, it wasn't – I wasn't imposing anything on them. I was just saying what would make it better. So do you think it's worth doing? Yeah. Okay, so how are we going to do it? Who, who can take the lead on teaching people this one concept? And it was just you – know, I wasn't going to do it. That's not my expertise. But, mm-hmm. um, but for them to do it worked out great. And I think your point about people asking better questions, you know, it's in leadership, in sales, and everything. It, it all comes down to the questions – Sometimes I think we lose patience, and that maybe that's why people don't always ask great questions. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you see that as well. No, I, I do. And, you know, your example is, is such an important one because it's, 
it's again where I think, again, this is the antithesis of how most of us have been trained to think. And that is that this idea of leadership, you know, leadership. And even though the books will say, hey, the best leaders will leverage the brilliance of their team, because we hold leadership up on this pedestal, people still default into thinking the leader needs to walk in that room and have the answers. And a, a clear giveaway is when you hear them say, how do I get my team to buy in? Well, buy in means selling. you're selling something. And what you just described in your example is how do you create ownership? And ownership's when the ideas and the motivations come from the team. And I'm guessing once they get that ownership, that's when people can really do big things. He, he, I mean, that's it's 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 primary to it. It's 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 critical um, because in order for a team to do big thing, you need a hundred percent from everybody. They need to be all in early, not at the end, not when there's a crisis, not when it's the end of the quarter and they have to hit targets. It's from the beginning and through the whole thing. I'm certain that in reading through the book that people will get the specific steps, you know, the seven steps to achieve X, the, you know, here are specific tools to help you focus on what matters and drive productivity and create just better work environments. And there's just so much, there's so much that you guys have in the book that can help people actually um, get more done and actually maybe, maybe perhaps even smile while they're doing it, huh? Yeah, absolutely. So a ton of examples, specifics are really important to us. And then, of course, on our website, uh, there's a ton of free videos that support all the content as well. But that's really critical. It's got to be actionable. It's got to be practical and, and sticky. You've got to be able to sustain it. That's great, Craig. Hey, Craig, what's the best way for people to learn more about what you're doing and to connect with you online? Yeah, verusglobal.com. So V-E-R-U-S global.com. Uh, and of course, I personally am on all the social media, LinkedIn especially, and so can find me that way. Um, and we can continue the discussion. Yeah, and we'll, just, and we'll link that all up on the show notes. So, Craig, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. I, I love all these concepts of, you know, so many people talk about different approaches for what you can do to try and engage your team. And this just really makes it very uh, practical and actionable so organizations can actually achieve results rather than just talking about it. Ian, thank you. And thank you for doing big things. I love what you're doing out there. Great. Thanks, man. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. Make sure that each team member has a shared combined human imperative that they commit to. It's not just about doing the task that we didn't remember. We can't just fix the one leader and expect them to change everything. In fact, generally, we have to think more about the team. And, of course, we want to make sure, and I love this part, that we're asking our teams, hey, guys, what's this team all about, and how does it align with your individual purpose? We want team members to have the mindset of owners rather than just participants. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic that you'd like me to cover or a guest I should have on the show, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.